Just a heads up, before we get into this episode, there's some graphic language in this one. So, listener discretion is advised. It's pretty intense. I think my story is so dramatic, Mm -hmm. you know, because I ran for my life. Previously, on Inferno. And he has to leave his mother and father there to die. They could not move. There was nothing Branson could do. I mean, Branson was a Boy Scout. I mean, he he, he knew first aid, but there was no first aid. There was nothing he could do for them at that point in time. They were in the middle of the road, surrounded by fire, surrounded by smoke, surrounded by hell. I'm lonely every day. And I miss her so. One of the scariest pieces of video from the Gatlinburg disaster ends up coming from an evacuee named Michael Luciano. And the lights are on. Look how bright the fire is. He's in a cabin in Chalet Village with his brother Anthony and his dog, Red. Remember, Chalet Village is the neighborhood where five people would later be found dead. You can hear trees falling in the background. Electrical transformers blowing up. Wind's pretty bad. Michael watches as the fire's orange hue dances against a soulless black sky and quickly decides to leave. We are now evacuating. Michael's taking video on his phone and And trying to keep his dog calm. Chalet Village is on fire. Rest is down. Chalet Village is on fire. The brothers are winding down narrow gravel roads that would be tricky to navigate even without the thick smog settling onto the pavement before them. Shit. Go, 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 go. That shit about these tires don't hurt me. Go. I can't see. Just hit that fucking gas, you're on pavement. They make another turn, and the dark mountain corner gives way. Fuck all the chalet villages on fire. To hell on earth. We just got stuck, we're turning around, there's power lines and uh, trees blocking the road. We cannot get out. Through the fiery haze, Michael sees the flaming outlines of his neighbor's homes. Everything is burning around us, every cabin, everything. There you go, we're we're not going to make it across that road. Shit. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. You're good. Wow. It's okay, Red. Fuck! Hit the gas! Hit the gas! Every time you hear Michael yell like this, a wall of fire is inches from his car. It's too hot in here. Don't worry about the lines. Why is every cabin on fire? Fuck. I don't, I don't think, I don't know about this. Just fucking go. Oh my God. Well. Oh, fucking tree. Fuck, go through it. Go through it. I can't. Fuck. I cannot be stuck. Here, hold on. Hold on. 
Drove through a tree. This fucking guy. This fucking asshole. What the fuck is wrong with you? Go! Get the fuck out of here! Alright, after having to get that idiot out of our way. I don't think he was in the worst of it, not in that car. I think we fucked up the truck. We had to drive through a big tree just to get out of here. You can see the fire. This is just terrible. It's devastating. After a few more minutes, the fire's orange hue is replaced with the glow of blues and reds. Police cars. Michael and his brother made it. As their truck inches closer to safety, there are no cries of, yes, we've made it. No blissful exultations of, thank God we're safe but a statement nearly everyone who escaped the planes throughout that night wondered to themselves. Well, they didn't give anybody that lived up there any warning. Not even on the news. We were watching. Fire rained down from the hillside beside the motel. Like a bunch of embers falling from the sky, huge, looked like lava. Every minute and second counts for people fleeing for their lives. From WBIR Channel 10 in Knoxville, a series of stories where we look back at the tragedy of the Gatlinburg wildfires. What was lost, what went wrong, and how we've rebuilt since the flames. I'm Robin Wilhoyt. And I'm Madison Stacy. Fire is really close to us. We're going to die in here. Why do they warn us? 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 This is Inferno, the Gatlinburg disaster. Every minute and second counts for people fleeing for their lives. It's time to stop sitting around drinking and let's go and try to save your lives, okay? If she can see fire, she needs to leave right now. She's got to get out of there. They, they have okay. to get out of there. Why did no one tell us? It's a question people asked as they fled the flames in 2016, and it's a question survivors still ask themselves today. Our homes burnt down, our loved ones died, we're traumatized even today. Why was there no warning? I really think there should have been something something. I mean, even someone in a car with a bullhorn. When we said before in previous episodes, people were mad. We did not mean past tense. We mean there's currently, to this day, litigation against the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And uh, then they failed to warn the citizens of Gatlinburg in time for them to do something. 
We're going to take a look at that now, at what happened between 4 and 11 p.m. the night of November 28th. As seconds turned to minutes during those seven critical hours, thousands of people who were running out of precious time to escape didn't know it. Because the main way people knew to evacuate the hellfire that night was only once they saw it out their front door. This, this city itself is, has not suffered any damage, has not suffered any loss. We'll start at 4 p.m., the afternoon of November 28th. Gatlinburg Fire Chief Greg Miller is updating the press on the growing wildfire in the Smokies. For our visitors, for the people who are planning to visit, the, the disaster has not struck the city of Gatlinburg yet. But we're doing everything we can to monitor the situation. We've got firefighters deployed out literally in front of every structure, and we're there to protect it and to protect this great resource that we call Great Smoky Mountains National Park. You talk about some of the neighborhoods where there's been a voluntary evacuation. At what point do you guys go in there and say, okay, now you really do have to get out? That is a very good question. And, you know, there's nothing better than the safety of one's home. And until we feel that that safety is threatened from fire uh, because of the fire growth or because the wind direction has changed, we will allow them to stay there, but we are cautiously optimistic. And watching this video on Facebook three years later on the WBIR Facebook page is really eerie in light of what we know is to come because Facebook saves all those comments in real time. So as Miller speaks, you can see in real time the well wishes of people living in a community that's about to be devastated. Thank you to all the firefighters who have been working and continue to work so hard, one comment reads. Hoping the rain gets here soon to save our mountains, praying for the firefighters, another says. My husband and I got married there. Those are my hiking paths. Please let it rain. We hope to be able to keep these people in their homes, but we will not implement a mandatory evacuation until we feel like they're going to be threatened. Their health and their safety would be threatened by staying where they are. the Great Smoky Mountains National Park declined to comment on this story, as did the National Weather Service and Sevier County Dispatch. But there is one organization that jumped into the fray at six o'clock that Monday night to try and tell people what was happening on the mountain. Hey, um, okay, and this is going to be really stupid. Have you guys by any chance contacted the media and told them to tell these people about all the fires? We did the media releases, and then there has been a couple of appearances up here. Now, I did not sit in on them, so I can't tell what they said, but I will be willing to bet they did. I will find out for sure. The reason why I'm asking is because we've had several people call and asking us why it's not being said over the news or something, if they need to evacuate, if they don't, why, you know, what all, what's on fire, what's not. I mean, I literally just got cussed out over this. Okay. I, I will work on finding that out and try to get an answer for you. I don't know the answer to it, but I will find it. Okay. Thank you. I've only been working here for about a year, so I wasn't actually around when the fires broke out. Word of the fires did reach me, though, in a roundabout way. The cabin where my cousin proposed to his now wife was completely flattened. It wasn't, embarrassingly, until I started working here that I realized the extent of the disaster, the horror stories my coworkers still tell themselves. 14 dead, thousands more evacuated. I was stunned. It still affects the people I work with. 
not in a people who were here versus people who were here during the fires way, just that in the way that the people who did work through that night, to their core, they still cannot believe what went down. I absolutely was not going to lose my shit. You just can't. It's like, you know, hold it together and then if you need to, when your shift is over or when you can finally go home, then if you want to pour yourself a stiff drink or light up a cigarette or whatever, go for it. Enter John North. But personally speaking, on a local news level, I've never been through anything like this before, and I hope I never go through it again. He's a longtime reporter in East Tennessee. His career began in 1983 in Kansas City. He was working the night of the fire and was tasked with trying to keep up with the force of the disaster. And over two decades of experience in newsrooms across the country, he says, weren't enough to prepare him for the devastation he saw unfolding right before his eyes. If we had known what to expect, if we'd had any idea, we would have had the full show down there. I mean, we would have had everybody down there, but we had no clue because this was something that nobody really, this was an isolated fire so far as we knew that was in the park. It had started on Wednesday as a little fire. They had basically kind of worked it a little bit during daytimes, but left it alone. And it wasn't until probably Sunday that we heard a storm was coming our way. Uh, <clears throat> but I, they didn't put the word out very well that this was something that was going to come sweeping in the gap. I mean, they didn't put the word out at all that this fire was going to come sweeping toward Gatlinburg. <clears throat> I mean, that was, we had no idea. If, if anybody had any inkling that the fire was going to come to Gatlinburg, uh, I promise you the news director would have had a load of people down there. It does kind of seem like things really pick up oh, yeah. during the 6 o'clock newscast. We didn't know that. Growing wildfires in the Smokies are billowing smoke and ash into Gatlinburg and other cities, and now a handful of homeowners are choosing to evacuate. We got phone calls and we got we got several Facebook messages uh, from people that were like, I'm talking to so-and-so who is on a mountain road now that's on fire trying to get out. What can you tell me? And I said, there's nothing I can tell you. The fire is all around the town. Everybody is doing the best they can, but it's a disaster. And, and I'm, you know, I mean, I'm trying to say, I'm sorry for what your friend or family member is going through, but everybody's going through right now. There's a video, well, you've seen it, uh, Michael Luciano's video. When he finally gets to the bottom, there's like cops everywhere. And he said, I don't know, he said something to the effect of they didn't tell anyone who was living up there. There was a fire, not even on the news. We were watching. If he was watching 10 News, why wouldn't he have known? Like, what's your response to that, I guess, three years after the fact? Well, I, you know, again, I don't think we understood the magnitude of it. You know, uh, we had trying to comprehend how bad it was, plus what we had available in, in terms of the way of resources, uh, plus it being able to get it out. You know, I, I mean, I, 
I think we did what we could. I think there is also, excuse me, I think there's also an expectation in the public's mind that, that, uh, that a news agency can respond immediately to something. And we, that's not exactly how it works. You have to, one, have the resource in hand. Again, we were mostly 45 miles away. You have to verify information. You have to get information from credible sources. Again, if suddenly all of your dispatchers and your cops and your sheriff's deputies are busy, they ain't talking to you. You can't just email Tony Watson of the Pigeon Forge Fire Department and say, Hey, Chief, it's John North. How are you? Anything going on down there? He's not going to... You know what I'm saying? I honestly... I mean, that's truly one of those situations where you're almost on your own. It's like, ain't going to be no PIO. Ain't going to be no press releases. You're on your own. Yeah. You, are, you are gathering information on your own. Good luck. Emergency. Hi, um, we're at the Holiday Inn Smoky Mountain Resort, and there's a major fire that we can see, um, like a, I guess a wildfire. Yes. Okay. Just wanted to report that they're okay. near us. Yeah, now. they're aware of it. They have told us now that we need to have everybody that calls in questioning about the fire to go ahead and evacuate. You need to head towards Pigeon Forge. Gather everybody towards together. Pigeon Forge. Okay. Yes, ma'am. What's your name? Christine McCauley. Okay, Christine. Uh, yeah, go ahead and get your stuff together and evacuate. Really okay, just try to stay as calm as you can. That'll keep them calm. Okay, and just take your time. It's going to be hard to see through the fog and the smoke, but you need to go ahead and get your stuff and evacuate, okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. At 7 o'clock, these calls to Sevier County Dispatch really start to pick up because people are seeing flames outside their front yard and in the hills behind their house. And they're turning to dispatch for guidance, and many are asking if the city's under a mandatory evacuation. Hey, this is the 911 center. We got a call from you. Yes, I live on uh, Mills Park Road, and I just got a call from my neighbor. Uh -huh. She lives out on PA Profit Road, and she said there was a fire broke out and that they're evacuating. Have you heard anything? Do I need to be alarmed and to, to do the same? For the Mills Creek area? Yes. I, I would just go ahead, and if you feel, I would go ahead and leave if you feel threatened at all. I've not heard about mandatory evacuations, but I would. If you think there's a chance of you being affected by the fire, I'd go ahead and leave, okay? Well, do you know, I hear, I hear a lot of times. Um, yes, ma'am. I live out on um, Glades Road, and my neighbors and I can, like, see the fire burning, and we don't know, like, nobody's, you know, no police or anything have been through here to, like, tell us to leave. We don't know what to do. Okay, ma'am, if you don't feel safe, you need to leave, but nobody's been evacuated at this time where you're at. If you feel threatened, you need to leave, okay? All right, thank you so What's much. By that point, certain areas of Gatlinburg, Minot Park neighborhood, East Foothills Road, Turkey Nest Road, and Davenport Road areas actually had been evacuated. 911, where's your emergency? 
Uh, yes, I just need to, to find out. I'm at LeConte Towers, and yes. I can see the fire. Ma'am, if you feel threatened, get out, of your, get out of there, okay? If you feel threatened, get out of there. That's all I know to tell you right now. we got fires all over the county. Okay? okay. All right. Thank I'm you. sorry to bother you. Uh-huh. Bye. 911, where is your emergency? I show up on Wendy Lane. This fire is spreading fast. Sir, we're trying to get them there as quick as we can. We've got fire departments coming from every direction, but it's just, you know, they're they're stretched thin with their resources right now in the county, but they're on their way, okay? If you need to okay, evacuate, then you need to really go ahead and leave. I don't know if we should stand right here okay, or not. No, you need to go ahead and leave if you're in danger. Because it's spreading. It's what is your name? Fast. But like Jim Vance, the man who lost the love of his life to the fires, pointed out to us last episode, that's a really ambiguous term. And it left a lot of people on the mountains confused as to what to do. Well, that term I wasn't used to. And I said, what the heck is voluntary evacuate? You either evacuate or you don't. At the top of the hour, eight o'clock, Constance Reed makes her call for help to 911 from her Wiley Oakley home. But by 816, firefighters are already calling for an evacuation from Wiley Oakley. It's overrun by fire and too dangerous. They have to pull back. And then at 8.30, that's when the city decides to issue a mandatory evacuation for Gatlinburg, right when the Gatlinburg Command Center loses phone and Internet. So that mandatory evacuation notice was a message that many people were looking for, and it's one that they say they never received. Indeed, they did not. This isn't a matter of accusations or pointing fingers. We simply wanted to give officials here at the command center a chance to explain how evacuations work and how those alerts go out. And as we all know, every minute and second counts for people fleeing for their lives. Becca Habiger is a former 10 News reporter, and she conducted several in-depth investigations into this issue. On Monday afternoon, winds blew ash into downtown Gatlinburg. At that time, officials announced during a news conference danger was not imminent for this mountain town. We are cautiously optimistic. We hope to be able to keep these people in their homes, but we will not implement a mandatory evacuation until we feel like they're going to be threatened. Their health and their safety would be threatened by staying where they are. But as we saw, winds strengthened and this initially small fire spread quickly, hours later eventually taking people on the affected mountainsides by surprise. Sevier County and Gatlinburg officials coordinated with the National Weather Service to issue an evacuation notice for the city of Gatlinburg through the emergency alert system. But the EAS does not have a mobile text alert component, so people relying solely on their phones got no evacuation alert on their mobile device. What people did get later was this, an alert from the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency asking Sevier County residents to stay off mobile devices unless an emergency. This was sent through a system called wireless emergency alerts, which do push to mobile devices. Those alerts, TEMA spokesperson Dean Fleener says, have a 90-character limit. He explains why his agency did not send out the evacuation alert using the system. It could have been sent, but it would not have been the responsible thing to do because you could not give further instructions as to what people should do to evacuate, especially those who don't live in the city and know the routes. If you say to a visitor, you need to evacuate Gatlinburg without giving them any further instructions, you know, to take this route or go this way, which you can't do in 90 characters, you're really going to put them in more danger. 
Another alert was sent out Monday night, an evacuation notice for Pigeon Forge. Like the Gatlinburg evacuation notice, it was sent through the emergency alert system. Also, like the Gatlinburg evacuation notice, it was not delivered to any mobile device. In Sevier County, Becca Hobbiger, WBIR 10 News. Bereft of official word from authorities or text alerts, people on the mountain did have one way to communicate, through social media. John McCauley is a social media expert at a marketing company in Knoxville. When the fires broke out, he saw how people utilized this tool in new ways. It was one of the main communication tools that was used to alert people in the area. I think when we look at it from an official use standpoint, it was one of the biggest in the modern social media era in East Tennessee. It was the biggest event we've had as far as a natural or weather disaster was concerned. So it was the first time we'd really had the need for and the opportunity to use a platform this big to try to communicate with people. So I think it was a major learning curve as far as, for one, this was one of the largest natural disasters we've had in the area um, ever. So, um, you know, officials were kind of scrambling trying to figure that part out. But also, as far as the public was concerned, this was the first time we'd had the ability to talk to each other um, with such uh, immediacy um, and with such expanse. Uh, that we'd have, we'd never had that before, so it'd be it was very interesting just to see how people latched on and um, really jumped in to try to make sure everyone was safe. Which brings us to 10:30 p.m. Because if anyone saw how effective social media was in communicating how desperate the situation on the mountain had become, it's Michael Luciano. Michael Luciano ended up posting his escape from Shelley Village to Facebook that night where it got over 4 million views in just under two hours. And it wasn't just local media who picked up on Luciano's video. It was picked up and circulated around the country by Time, Esquire, CNN, Daily Mail, Huffington Post. It was seen around the world. And that meant Michael Luciano had become the voice of the Gatlinburg disaster. It's something I never wanted. Um, if I could go back and change, I probably wouldn't change anything. But, yeah, 4 million views within two hours. Now, that's a lot. And now, to date, being, you know, almost the third anniversary of the terrible wildfires here, to date, now the, the video has had hundreds of millions of views. In the years since, Michael's really tried to move on from the terror of losing his neighbors and he's tried to put the fires behind him. You, it's kind of un, unwanted attention. You wanted people to know what was going on. But in the days and weeks afterwards, you are basically, all the eyes are on you. But that video means he's still the voice of it. Being put in a position like that is, you know, it's very difficult. Um... I'm not going to say it's impossible to handle, but it is difficult. You're bringing attention to you. You know, for instance, a lot of people would say uh, they would make a comment on the video. 
why didn't you have common sense? Why didn't you leave sooner? Well, tell that to the 14 people that died. Nine one one. Where's your emergency? Well, uh, uh, the operator. Here's my problem. I have a friend. I need to know where you are. Where are you? I, I live at the forty-eight forty-four Civil Road. But my problem. No, I need to know my, your address. My, what What did you say your address was? That's most important. Okay, my address is 4844 Sevierville Road, okay? okay? My name is Peter Catchers. I'm actually calling about a lady, her name is Constant Reed. Her, her house was on fire with this Gatlinburg, with the fires going on in Gatlinburg. You know, she made a call to 911, probably between 7 and 7.30. Sir, I don't have that information right now. I'm sorry, I do not have that information. Are you calling from Blount County? I'm calling from Blunt County. Yeah, I live in Maryland. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I do not have that information, and I really need to get off the phone right now. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. I'm, I apologize. I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, all right. In the end, the heartbreaking result of this communication breakdown was that lives were lost or changed forever. People were left on a burning mountainside to fend for themselves, while an overwhelmed dispatch center fielded thousands of emergencies per hour. If you, any fire department that you can send this way, send them to Gatlinburg Station 1. Any fire department that you can send this way, send them to Gatlinburg Station 1 from Caw County. Sorry, I'm, I'm confirming that with my supervisor because we're calling in statewide reinforcement. Is this Amanda? Yeah, I was like, what the hell? Yeah, Amanda, I'm about on the verge of tears because we just... It's awful. Don't worry. Pittman Center Fire Department's having to back out praying that they can get out okay because fire's overtaking them. So I'm praying, I'm listening to them right now and them only just to make sure they get out okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, I gotta get off of here. Okay, okay. Nine one one, where's your emergency? Twenty one oh three Redmond, is there any news that they're gonna send somebody? Ma'am, slow down. Tell me again. Twenty one oh three. Twenty one oh Redmond way. I want to reintroduce you to a caller you've met before, back in episode one. She's a young woman trapped in a house with her mother as the fire rages outside. She identifies herself only as Brooke. She can't evacuate and is left alone and waiting for help, praying for rescue. And her experience was just one of thousands from that night. Ma'am, slow down. Tell me again. 2103. Redmond Way. Fred, what? Redmond. We've called before and there's no one here yet. Is it Redbud Lane? Redmond. R-E-D-M-O-N-D. Spell it again. R-E-D Redmond. Okay, ma'am. I need you to spell the the road name. Two one zero three Red. What? I got it. I got it. Come in. Twenty one zero three Redmond Way. We're on top of a mountain. Spell it. R e what? R e d m o n d. R e d m o n d. Redmond. 
we're, we're it's, it's on fire and the, the whole place is evacuated and everyone left us and we don't have a car and we're just waiting for help you need to try to evacuate on foot. We can't. My mom is disabled. She cannot walk. Okay, ma'am. I'm going to notify the Pigeon Forge Police Department or Pigeon Forge Fire Department, okay? Jesus, yes. Oh, my God, Lord, it's in some rain. Ma'am, I'm going to notify the fire department, okay? They've been notified. Jesus, in rain, please, God. Go outside. 
We can't see in front of us. Fall in our yard. The cinders are falling in our yard, and we're just praying that they don't catch fire. Just the fires are so close. We can see them from our window, like 10 feet away. Please, God, help us. Finally, around 11 p.m., Brooks' prayers are answered. Uh, yes, please. I'm starting to get invisible rain. I'm hoping it's going to bring good news, please. Rains fall onto Gatlinburg. And two onto survivors who want their own answers. And I called 911 again and I said to them, we need someone to come get us. And she said, well, ma'am, you need to keep driving. There's nobody that can come and get you. The whole town is on fire and um, nobody's coming up there. I proceeded to give her names and ages and said, you're going to have to identify us because we can't get out of here. My boyfriend got out and moved that tree by himself. And if he hadn't moved that tree, we would have, we would have probably perished on that mountain. Next time on Inferno. Inferno is a podcast from WBIR Channel 10, a Technic company, hosted by Robin Wilhoyt and Madison Stacy. This episode was written and edited by Madison Stacy. Executive producers are Allison Duff, Tanya Burke, Lauren Hoare, Jeremy Campbell, and Madison Stacy. Daniel Bignot and Katie Pilippo were associate producers. Original reporting contributed by Becca Hobaker and John North. Additional audio provided by Michael Luciano.